Welcome to The New Way, the bite-sized podcast for leaders and executives like you who want to transform their organisation and inspire people to work in new ways. Forget stalled progress and disappointment from upstairs. Each episode, I reveal how to communicate your vision, drive change, and become the leader that everyone loves. No BS or flop, just the practical info that you need. I'm Dr. Kate Byrne. Get ready for actionable insights, mini execution plans, and game-changing secrets from my 20 years in the trenches, supporting senior leaders to introduce the new way. (laughs) Let's get started. Does your change program include running workshops or webinars, maybe listening tours, panel discussions, running steering committees, training sessions or meetings? If it does, you've got to make sure that you're thinking about how to make these experiences as engaging as possible for your stakeholders. I mean, I know you already know how important employee engagement is to the success of your organisational change or transformation program. Taking your experiences to the next level is exactly what I'm diving into with my guest today. Leanne Hughes is an entrepreneur and high-performance business consultant. She combines her experience in marketing and her education with group dynamics and psychology to help leaders create really, really engaging everyday experiences that are so contagious they scale across teams, functions and regions. In fact, in 2021, Leanne was the winner of the Asia Pacific Learning Impact Awards for Learning Professional of the Year, which is huge. That's so cool. She's also the host of both the First Time Facilitator and Leanne Hughes's Work and Live Large podcasts. And of course, we'll have links to those as well as the many other resources that we mentioned in this episode in the show notes for you to easily go grab and check out. In today's conversation, we're covering so much good stuff. We cover Leanne's approach to inspiring change and if you should be aiming for buy-in or for pre-orders, and I love her concept around this, how to create more engagement in your events and experiences, whether or not using online or virtual channels limits opportunity to deliver great experiences and what to do about that, and exactly what to keep in mind when designing and planning experiences. Leanne has incredible energy. She really knows her stuff and she shares so much gold with us in this episode. Seriously, get ready to take your events and experiences to the next level. Okay, here we go. Let's listen in to my conversation with Leanne now. Hello, Leanne. I'm thrilled that we're talking. Thank you so much for joining me. Kate, I'm thrilled to be talking to you as well in real time. I've seen your stuff on LinkedIn. I'm very excited about where this conversation can go. Oh, so am I. So am I. I feel like the LinkedIn stalking must be mutual then because I'm super excited for us to talk. Let me set the scene a little bit um, about why I'm so excited. In change management and organisational change, and I know you're familiar with this kind of area of work, stakeholder apathy is such a big full-on roadblock for people in terms of resisting change. And that apathy and disengagement really impacts the overall success of so many change programs. It's such a shame. It really kills me. And I think that the way that the change team, whether that be change leaders, change managers, anyone involved in that initiative, how they engage with stakeholders, the kinds of experiences that stakeholders have when they're with them, 
I mean, just day to day even, as well as the big experiences, can make such a huge difference to whether or not people are engaged. Um, and so that's why I'm really, really excited for us to talk because I know that creating engaging, exciting experiences is your zone of genius. I, I, just, I want to just throw a virtual high five to you because like, we are singing from the same song sheet here in terms of like just the lack of engaging and stuff that's going on in these processes. So anyway, I just wanted to share that with you, Kate, that I completely resonate. We're on the same page. We're on the same page. And look, I know that most change managers, I was I was going to say many, but no, I really think it's most. The vast majority that I know are not facilitators. They're not moderators. They're not um, some are and some have got qualifications, but many are not. They know about change management, change management theory, maybe comms as well, but facilitation is a different kettle of fish with its own area of expertise and nuance. And so that's what I would love us to dive into. Let's start with how can facilitating conversations with stakeholders be so powerful on a change journey or as part of a change program? Yeah, well, I think we often talk about buy-in, right? So buy-in is like, we need to get people along on the journey. What's interesting though, what I picked up from working internally and also working with clients is that people tend to think buy-in is something you do after you've actually created the change plans and the comms planned and it comes sort of later down the road. But if we talk about coming along the journey, what you really want to do then is take more of a a co-creation type of approach, which is where facilitation leans in very nicely to that. Now, the interesting thing is, is when you um, think of yourself as the expert, you may be a bit more reluctant to then co-create because it's like, I know the way, I know the way things are going to work out. As you know, Kate, I had a podcast called First Time Facilitator. And when I was a newbie facilitator, I was going up in the front of the room when I was talking to people, I was thinking I was the expert and I was putting a lot of pressure on myself. So as a result, I actually wasn't asking other people questions or really engaging in a conversation and getting feedback. That goes back to, at a very tactical level, my run sheets for a meeting would be like literally down to the minute because I had no confidence in this area. 901 to 903, a two-minute icebreaker, 903. It was literally scripted like that. Oh, I've done that myself. I know exactly what you mean. I know that fear. I've got to be every 90 seconds. Yeah. Thank goodness. So I don't feel like a complete control freak. But the hardest part with me about facilitation was letting go of the control, being okay with what was uncertain. And we can't manage change, we can instigate it. I think instead of buy-in, what we need to get instead is pre-orders. So I always talk about using facilitation, socialising ideas, going on listening tours, all as ways of building up and getting pre-orders before change is actually initiated. Oh, I love that. And in fact, this is incredible because I was actually wanted to raise with you this idea of the way you think about buy-in versus pre-orders because I've seen, and we will link in the show notes, of course, to that podcast that you mentioned, which yes, I have listened to, you guys should too, but also we'll, we'll link to a YouTube video of yours that I've seen. I'm going to say two by Tuesday, where you talk about specifically inspiring change in an organization and the different strategies that people can use. And I noticed that you talked about that difference between the buy-in approach and a different approach that you call pre-orders. I'd love to hear more about that and how you distinguish those two things. It happened to me when COVID hit. So um, much like a lot of service providers a lot of, and facilitators, a lot of my work was face-to-face in person flying around the world. And obviously very quickly, things changed. We couldn't do that. And I was trying to figure out what the heck am I going to do with my business? And I thought, well, why don't I listen to my own advice and 
I'm not too sure. So I'll go on a listening tour. Through my email list, I just sent out an email saying, who wants to jump on a 20-minute call? I just want to hear what you're up to. And then, of course, if I can provide some value at the end, I will. It was the most joyful thing, actually, because I had no idea what the conversations were going to be about. But I started taking notes. I got these calls transcribed as well. I identified patterns in what people were saying. So then when I actually created something, I created like a membership that year. And when I put it out there and I used the exact sort of terminology that had been brought up in the calls, people were coming to me and saying, like, you're, you're reading my mind. Like, and they were buying the program. I'm not even advertising it yet. And I haven't really put it out there. And so that was not the intention at all. This was just an experiment. And I was like, that's really interesting. Like, how do we bring this approach into the corporate consulting and change projects I've worked on? And this is a good facilitation technique as well. Often, I mean, early days, I used to hear something from someone in the audience and I'd often paraphrase it, like, and that's a good skill to do. But something which is really interesting, it's been called mimicking, mimicry, is echoing the words right back to people. And they're like, how are you reading my mind? It's like, I'm not really, I'm just throwing the words right back at you. And so I think with change and when we're trying to lead it, we always think in our words, we, we try to use very professional words, stakeholders, terms like that. But in day-to-day conversation, people aren't saying those types of things. They're saying other things. So the pre-order approach is actually really listening very closely with no intention of the outcome. It's being very curious, much like you are as a podcast host, and going in the direction and then just taking note of it, identifying the patterns. And when you play it back in your workshops, in your stakeholder meetings, in the comms, you'll find that it actually resonates with people. I love that. And so the pre-order approach is a great way to help get stakeholders involved, listen to those conversations and help build a roadmap for the change journey. That's it. And I think um, this is where you've got to start then using your expertise as change practitioners or people within like leading organisations is, okay, I've heard all these things, but what can we actually do here? And then address it. So um, I, I wrote an article recently about how the lack of follow through is just totally disempowering cultures and things like that. So if you, are, if you are listening, make sure you report back. Even if you can't take on what they're saying, just explain why and, and move on. Yeah, I agree. Uh, very, very important. That is a fast track to people becoming more disengaged. And if you don't go back to people, you are teaching them to not engage with you moving forward. Something that you just said there about mirroring the language right back, like parroting it back to them, that is a really cool facilitating strategy. I've never used it in a facilitation kind of way, but I have used that approach in terms of communicating, writing down key messages around, like if you're drafting emails or articles or whatever it might be, if you're able to reflect back literal word for word ideas, examples from the workplace, uh, you know, that kind of thing, then people go crazy for that. It's so easy. It almost feels like cheating. I agree. We don't, it's so easy. But it's, I mean, there is science behind it. They've done research around it. Jonah Berger, I think in his book, Either Contagious or Invisible Influence, a study in uh, the Netherlands of waitresses and waiters trying to get tips. If they took an order and they simply repeated the order back to them, they got more tips than someone else who was just more charismatic and friendly. So we like that certainty of our responses being echoed back. It's super cool. Wow. Let's talk more about facilitating. And you mentioned if a change manager is a first-time facilitator or this is something very early in their career, they haven't had a lot of exposure to it yet, what are some of the things that they should be keeping in mind when they're designing and planning experiences? And some of the experiences, because I know we're using that term 
could mean a bunch of things. That might be a meeting. It could be face-to-face or virtual. It might be webinars. It might be a discussion panel. It could be a training session. It could be, you know, engaging with stakeholders in any number of ways. So what are some of the things for these different types of experiences that folks should be keeping in mind when they're designing it? Yeah, you're right. I think designing it is key because one of my friends used to say, the best co-facilitator you can have is a well-designed process. I was like, that is super cool. And so you can just lean on your process, even if in the moment you're like, ah, how is this going? I think in early days, Michael Bungay Senior told me, just strive for barely adequate. So we've all seen really great facilitators and presenters, but it's more about, look, I just want to make sure that I'm creating a comfortable environment for people to speak up. I'll talk about some of these philosophies I think about. Um, Number one is for any experience is to engage early and engage often, more so in the virtual world as well. Where I see people fail is where they're trying to lead a discussion, but they spend the first 10 to 15 minutes on their own content without actually asking questions. So even when I'm like the subject matter expert in any event, I'll throw over a question very quickly to get some engagement, sets the tone for this is a conversation, it isn't a lecture. The other thing, I mean, I do think about as an experience like you talk about, Kate, and the tagline for my podcast was creating unpredictable experiences that predictably work. What I mean by that is... The brand of meetings, the brand of stakeholder engagement, the brand of team building is not strong, okay? People hear that they have to go to these things. They typically roll their eyes and groan, apart from maybe you and I, because we like love love these sorts of experiences. But majority of people are like, I don't want to go to this because they're going to make us do all this weird stuff. I don't want to talk about my feelings, which works in our favour, actually, because the brand is so bad. It's actually good for us as hosts. I agree. I agree. I've had people go, oh, God, don't make me talk, I don't about, my talk about my feelings. Like, <laughs> I don't want to talk about my feelings either. You know, like often I, um, so with that, I think about what I do, I map is what are all the assumptions about what's about to occur? Usually they are, it starts with the facilitator at the front of the room or kicking off with content. It starts off with housekeeping. That's part of it. And I think, right, what's the opposite of that? So I'll never start with housekeeping or logistics not completely upend the structure of it. But really, this is about when we talk about engagement, what we're really talking about is attention. And uh, I've got a bit of a marketing background as well. And that sort of plays into, you know, this mix of how do we retain attention. I talk about contrast a lot. So if you've got like a one hour workshop, sometimes I've used something called a 20-20-20, where it might be 20 minutes of content related discussion, a 20 minute case study, and then a 20 minute reflection. So I think about how do I structure that. No one does that. Contrast, you know, ask a question, respond, show a diagram, discuss it, video. Like how are you weaving in spikes of attention throughout the time that you've got allocated together? So think of your different modes of delivery, props, things like that as well. So many good ideas. There's so many tips for people. That's amazing. You know, something I say, I know you've seen this too, and I know every single person listening to this, when I say what I'm about to say, they've been in a room where this has happened, where when you go to a meeting or an experience, a workshop, a presentation, a, a day or what it, whatever it might be, an event, people walk in, sit down, cross their arms, whether you're online or not, and just kind of get ready to be observers, I think is quite often the way that it seems like, okay, well, we're here facilitating is going to happen to us now. There's a thing we're going to have to endure. And I'm here to be an observer. And I think that participants feel like they are 
meeting you halfway or they're, you know, they're doing the best they can. Do you have any suggestions? Because I know many a change manager where people might walk into the room and the change manager is doing a presentation or is trying to get engagement or doing some kind of listening activity or, you know, it starts like that. It can be very tricky to get people out of that observer mode, just kind of passively sitting and watching to participating. What can we do in that situation? Oh, there's so many cool things we can do. I believe it starts in actually what happens before everyone gets into the meeting. And to be honest, I actually love when people come in with their arms crossed. I love that challenge. What I often do with my sessions is I'll send some comms beforehand and usually it's a video because usually they're like, who the heck is this person and what are we going to be talking about? So I really try and raise the level of certainty. Like this is it. We're going to start at you know two minutes past the hour. Let me know if you have any questions or what do you want to get out of this? So just, you know, one or two micro tasks to do before they even jump in. So, Kate, you're saying like they're sitting down there passive. If that's the case, I was going to stand up, turn to the person next to you and just have a chat about this comment. And that breaks them out very quickly. And that's part of the whole engage, early engage, often uh, philosophy as well, because they're not expecting that. And you might think it's a bit uh, nerve wracking for people. Yes. But what you do is accelerating the trust that because nothing bad happens as a result of that conversation. So following something like that, where I'm getting them moving, then I'll replay the responses to the questions that I got. And what that does, it says to people, it signals that, oh, I'm actually in the right room. These are the points that came up and this is what resonates with me. So just finding patterns, playing that back, creating a discussion before then moving on as well. So I think the biggest mistake would be a change manager standing up and just getting on a PowerPoint and talking through things very quickly. It's like, actually, that's why you're not getting responses and not getting engagement. Kick it off as soon as you can. So good. You actually just said something quite profound in there, which was that technique of having that conversation or talking about a particular comment or whatever it may be as accelerating trust and kind of a sense of safety because nothing bad happened. There was no negative impact as a result of that. Change can bring up a whole range of emotions around that sense of uncertainty for people. So creating a sense of safety and building trust is extremely important. And I think that most change managers know that. But so that is such a killer tip. That's awesome. I'm so curious to know, obviously, in the past few years, so many experiences have moved online. Are we missing out? Is online limiting us in terms of facilitating and connecting and and even in terms of what we can get out of experiences like, you know, having a fresh perspective and thinking about creativity and problem solving and team building and all of those kinds of things? Are we missing out because we're online so much with those activities these days? We're only missing out if it's a poor experience and if it's not designed well. That's when we miss out. Because I've been in really poor meetings as well, working as a contractor two years ago, where we'd have these daily stand-ups online and they were just terrible. And knowing that it was happening at nine o'clock again the next day. But at the same time, like I've run uh, programs called Virtually Possible. I've been a participant of group coaching programs around the world. Some of my best friends are people I've never even met before. So I think it's you absolutely need a combination of it, but I definitely think there's power in, uh, in doing this online as well. Yeah, I thank you for saying that. I love that it's not a limitation necessarily. I agree. That sense of when you do spend time 
in person, it can really take things to the next level. I'm still on this tact and I'm getting kind of even more tactical. This is something that I see sometimes, not just online, also in live face-to-face settings where people get super excited in all the tech and they are like whipping out the Slido and the, you know, if they're online, the mural and those kinds of things. Uh, If you don't know what I'm talking about, these are different kinds of apps that you can use to engage audiences and groups in different ways virtually or, you know, collaborate together and also to poll people and that kind of thing. Are there times when it's better to kind of use all the tech or be lo-fi? Okay, tell me more about that. Well, it's all about your purpose. And I tell you, when I think about people using the tech as much as they do, and I, I, I hear that, the whole Miro mural boards, the people on the call have not even had to use them, so they're setting themselves up for failure. Slido, probably easy, but what I see those as is kind of like what clip art was for PowerPoint back in the 80s and 90s, where I feel like it's like a security blanket, perhaps. It's like if I put all this effort into tech, people will think I've got, I'm valuable. And I know that because that's been my self-talk, actually. Or if they see how great I am at navigating the technology, then my status will go up. But then you think about, actually, what's the purpose here? And I think tech can absolutely be a distraction. Only use it if it enables more. If I've got less than 10 people, we rarely really need to get into any tech. It's like have a conversation, use group chat, that's it. But, you know, when you've got 50, 60 people, it's impossible to hear all voices. That's when the tools come in handy, but it all relies on, like, what is the purpose here? So, yeah, it can be very distracting. Yeah, okay. So fit for purpose is still highly relevant. I love that you also just talked about the size of the group and you mentioned some tools. Many people know how to use those. They use them day to day so that you can still use tools to support you. Just make a life easier. Yeah. Okay, cool. And I've got one other question and that is around in terms of creating engaging experiences, how important is our physical space to that? It's incredibly important. I mean, I had to facilitate a week-long session in Hong Kong. We had no natural light coming in and that was absolutely killer. And the, and the air conditioning was just, it was just terrible. But, you know, people talk about, oh, we want blue sky thinking, yet we throw them into a boardroom with like big armchairs and no room to move. So, you know, like, I don't know how you think, Kate, when I'm at my computer, I don't really get creative. It's when I'm outside and walking around and things like that. So I love the ideas of teams that are jumping on like group calls and just going for walks. Like actually, before we even start this meeting, just go for a walk. You're in a better headspace for creativity. What does Tony Robbins say? Emotion, emotion, equals emotion, even though we're not talking about feelings here. Yeah. And even the setup of it, like, so a boardroom versus like scattered tables. I mean, it's really important. People definitely underestimate numbers of people at tables. If you're doing a hybrid call, can the person or people dialing in actually see everyone? The sound of that, the audio, when you have those hybrid sessions, people passing microphones around, it's hard to listen and pay attention. And the second it's hard to hear someone, people will just disengage. Oh yeah. Okay, good. I'm so glad. And I think that space can be a consideration, even if everyone's virtual, right? Like that is such a great example. Everyone can go for a walk together or you can go for a walk and talk with key team members to prepare for whatever your experience might be together. So good. So I already know how to stay in contact with you, but for other people listening, how can they get in contact with you and keep the conversation going? 
Yeah, sure. So, I mean, Kate, at the beginning of this, we talked about LinkedIn. So I'd love you to connect on LinkedIn. My website's leannehughes.com. And if you are interested in facilitation tips, there's 200 episodes on a podcast um, I hosted called First Time Facilitator. We are going to link to all of that and many of the other resources that you mentioned. It's going to be in the show notes. Thank you so, so much. You have shared so many great ideas and practical tips. People are going to be adding this to their toolkits. You're making a big impact for people. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you, Kate.